Chapter 12 of Toby Tyler or Ten Weeks with a Circus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Kagan. Toby Tyler or Ten Weeks with a Circus by James Otis. Chapter 12. Toby's Great Misfortune The town in which the circus remained over Sunday night was a small one, and a brisk walk of ten minutes sufficed to take Toby into a secluded portion of a very thickly grown wood, where he could lie down upon the mossy ground and fairly revel in freedom. As he lay on his back, his hands under his head, and his eyes directed to the branches of the trees above, where the birds twittered and sung, and the squirrels played in fearless sport, the monkey enjoyed himself, in his way. By playing all the monkey antics he knew of, he scrambled from tree to tree, swung himself from one branch to the other by the aid of his tail, and amused both himself and his master, until, tired by his exertions, he crept down by Toby's side and lay there in quiet, restful content. One of Toby's reasons for wishing to be by himself that afternoon was that he wanted to think over some plan of escape, for he believed that he had nearly enough money to enable him to make a bold stroke for freedom and Uncle Daniel's. Therefore, when the monkey nestled down by his side, he was all ready to confide in him that which he had been occupying his busy brain for the past three days. Mr. Stubbs, he said to the monkey, in a solemn tone, we're going to run away in a day or two. Mr. Stubbs did not seem to be moved in the least at this very startling piece of intelligence, but winked his bright eyes in unconcern. Toby, seeming to think that everything which he said had been understood by the monkey, continued, I've got a good deal of money now, and I guess there's enough for us to start out on. We'll get away some night, stay in the woods until they get through hunting for us, and then we'll go back to Guilford, and tell Uncle Dan'l if he'll only take us back, we'll never go to sleep and meetin' any more, and we'll be just as good as we know how. Now let's see how much money we've got. Toby drew from a pocket, which he had been at a great deal of trouble to make in his shirt, a small bag of silver and spread it upon the ground, where he could count it at his leisure. The glittering coins instantly attracted the monkey's attention, and he tried by every means to thrust his little black paw into the pile. But Toby would allow nothing of that sort, and pushed him away quite roughly. Then he grew excited, and danced and scolded around Toby's treasure, until the boy had hard work to count it. He did succeed, however, and as he carefully replaced it in the bag, he said to the monkey, There's seven dollars and thirty cents in that bag, and every cent of it is mine. That ought to take care of us for a good while, Mr. Stubbs, and by the time we get home we shall be rich men. The monkey showed his pleasure at this intelligence by putting his hand inside Toby's shirt to find the bag of treasure that he had seen cigarette there and two or three times 
to the great delight of both himself and the boy, he had drew forth the bag, which was immediately taken away from him. The shadows were beginning to lengthen in the woods, and, heeding this warning of the coming night, Toby took the monkey on his arm and started for home, or the tent, which was the only place he could call home. As he walked along, he tried to talk to his pet in a serious manner. But the monkey, remembering where he had seen the bright coins, tried so hard to get at them. Finally, Toby lost all patience and gave him quite a hard cuff on the ear, which had the effect of keeping him quiet for a time. That night, Toby took supper with the skeleton and his wife, and he enjoyed that meal, even though it was made from what had been left of the turkey that served as the noonday feast, more than he did the state dinner, where he was obliged to pay for what he ate by the torture of making a speech. There were no guests but Toby present, and Mr. and Mrs. Treat were not only very kind, but so attentive that he was actually afraid he should eat so much as to stand in need of some of the catnip tea which Mrs. Tree had said she gave to her husband when he had been equally foolish. The skeleton would pile his plate high with turkey bones from one side, and the fat lady would heap it up whenever she could find a chance with all sorts of food from the other, until Toby pushed his chair back his appetite completely satisfied, if it never had been so before. Toby had discussed the temper of his employer with his host and hostess, and after some considerable conversation, confided in them his determination to run away. I hate awfully to have you go, said Mrs. Treat reflectively, but it's a good deal better for you to get away from that job lord if you can. It wouldn't do to let him know that you had any idea of going. He'd watch as a cat watches a mouse, and never let you go as long as he saw a chance to keep you. Why, I heard him telling one of the drivers the other day that you'd sold more goods than any other boy you ever had, and he was going to keep you with him all summer long, said Mrs. Treat. Be careful in what you do, my boy, said the skeleton sagely, as he arranged a large cushion in an armchair and proceeded to make ready for his afternoon nap. Be sure that you're all ready before you start, and when you do go, get a good ways ahead of him, for if he should ever catch you, the trouncing you'd get would be awful. Toby assured his friends that he would use every endeavor to make his escape successful when he started, and Mrs. Treat, with an eye to the boy's comfort, said, Let me know the night you're going, and I'll fix you up something to eat so you won't be hungry before you come to a place where you can buy something. As these kind-hearted people talked with him and were ready thus to aid him in every way that lay in their power, Toby thought that he had been very fortunate in thus having made so many kind friends in a place where he was having so much trouble. It was not until he heard the sounds of preparation for departure that he left the skeleton's tent, and then, with Mr. Stubbs clasped tightly to his breast, he hurried over to the wagon, where old Ben was nearly ready to start. "'All right, Toby,' said the old driver, as the boy came up in sight. "'I was afraid you are going to keep me waiting for the first time. Jump right up in the box, for I ain't no time to lose.' 
"'And I guess you'll have to carry the monkey in your arms, "'for I don't want to stop to open his cage now.' "'I'd just soon carry him,' said Toby, "'as he as he clambered up on the high seat "'and arranged a comfortable place in his lap "'for his pet to sit. "'In another moment the heavy team had started, "'and nearly the entire circus was on the move. "'Now tell me what you've been up to since I left you,' "'said old Ben.' After they were well clear of the town, and he could trust his horses to follow the team ahead, I suppose you've been to see the skeleton and his mountain of a wife. Toby gave a clear account of where he had been and what he had done, and when he concluded, he told old Ben of his determination to run away, and asked his advice on the matter. My advice, said Ben, after he had been waiting some time, to give due weight to his words, is that you clear out of from this show just as soon as you can. This ain't no fit place for a boy of your age to be, and the sooner you get back where you started from and get to school, the better. But child lord will do all he can to keep you from going. If he thinks you have any idea of leaving him. Toby assured Ben, as he assured the skeleton and his wife, that he would be very careful in all he did, and lay his plans with the utmost secrecy. And then he asked whether Ben thought the amount of money which he had would be sufficient to carry him home. Well, that depends, said the driver. Slowly, if you go spreading yourself all over creation, as boys are very apt to do, your money won't go very far. But if you look at your money two or three times afore you spend it, you ought to get back and have a dollar or two left. The two talked, and old Ben offered advice until Toby could hardly keep his eyes open. And almost before the driver concluded his sage remarks, the boy had stretched out on top of the wagon, where he had learned to sleep without being shaken off, and was soon in dreamland. The monkey, nestled down snug in Toby's bosom, did not appear to be as sleepy as his master, but popped his head in and out from under the coat, as if watching whether the boy was asleep or not. Toby was awakened by the scratching on his face, as if the monkey was dancing a hornpipe on that portion of his body, and by a shrill, quick chattering, which caused him to assume an upright position. He was frightened, although he knew not at what, and looked around quickly to discover the cause of the monkey's excitement. Meanwhile, old Ben was asleep on his box, while... The horses jogged along behind the other teams, and Toby failed to see anything whatever should have caused his pet to become so excited. "'Lie down and behave yourself,' said Toby, as stern as possible, and as he spoke he took his pet by the collar to oblige him to obey his command. The moment that he did this, he saw the monkey throw something out onto the road, and the next instance he also saw that he held something tightly clutched in his paw. It required some exertion and active movement on Toby's part to enable him to get a hold of that paw, in order to discover what it was which Mr. Stubbs had captured. But the instant he did succeed, there went up from his heart such a cry of sorrow as caused old Ben to start up in alarm, and the monkey to cower and whimper like a whipped dog. "'What is it, Toby? Well, what's the matter?' asked the old driver, as he peered out into the darkness ahead. 
as if he feared some danger threatened them from that quarter. I don't see anything. What is it? Mr. Stubbs has thrown all my money away, cried Toby, holding up the almost empty bag, which a short time previous had been so well filled with silver. Stubbs? Thrown the money away? repeated Ben, with a pause between each word, as if he could not understand that which he himself was saying. Yes, said Toby, as he shook out the remaining contents of the bag. There's only a half a dollar, and all the rest is gone. The rest gone? again repeated Ben. But how come the monkey to have the money? Oh, he tried to get at it out in the woods, and I suppose in the moment I got asleep, he felt for it in my pockets. This is all there is left, and he threw away some just as I woke up. Again Toby held the bag up where Ben could see it, and again his grief broke out anew. Ben could say nothing. He realized the whole situation, that the monkey had got at the money bag while Toby was sleeping, that in his play he had thrown it away piece by piece, and he knew that the small amount of silver represented liberty in the boy's eyes. He felt that there was nothing he could say which could assuage Toby's grief, and he remained silent. "'Do you suppose we could go back and get it?' asked the boy, after the intensity of his grief had somewhat subsided. "'No, Toby, it's gone,' replied Ben sorrowfully. "'You can't find it if it was daylight, and you don't stand a ghost of a chance now in the dark. Don't take on so, my boy. I'll see if we can make it up to you in some way.' Toby gave no heed to this last remark of Ben. He hugged the monkey convulsively to his breast, as if he would seek consolation from the very one who had wrought the ruin, and, rocking himself to and fro, he said, in a voice full of tears and sorrow, "'Oh, Mr. Stubbs, why did you do it? Why did you do it? That money would have gotten us away from this hateful place, and we'd gone back to Uncle Daniel's where we'd have been so happy, and you and me, and now it's all gone, all gone. What made you, Mr. Stubbs, what made you do such a bad, cruel thing? What made you? Don't, Toby, don't take on so, said Ben soothingly. There wasn't so very much money there, and after all, and you'll soon get as much more. But it won't be for a good while, and we we could have been in good old home long before I could have got so much again. Oh, that's true, my boy, but you must kind of brace up and not give away so about it. Perhaps I can fix it so the fellows will make it up to you. Give Stubbs a good pounding, and that'll make you feel better. Oh, that wouldn't bring the money back. And I don't want to whip him, cried Toby, hugging his peg the closer because of the suggestion. I know what it is to get a whipping, and I wouldn't whip a dog, much less Mr. Stubbs, who didn't know any better. Then you must try to take it like a man, said Ben, who could think of no other plan by which the boy might soothe his feelings. He ain't half so bad as it might be, and you might try to keep a stiff upper lip, even if it does seem hard at first. This keeping a stiff upper lip in the face of all the trouble he was having was all very well to talk about, 
but Toby could not reduce it to practice, or at least not so soon, after he knew of his loss, and he continued to rock the monkey back and forth, to whisper in his ear now and then, and to cry as if his heart was breaking for nearly an hour. Ben tried in his rough, honest way to comfort him, but without success, and it was not until the boy's grief had spent itself that he would listen to any reasoning. All this time the monkey had remained perfectly quiet, submitting to Toby's squeezing without making any effort to get away, and behaving as if he knew he had done wrong and was trying to atone for it. He looked up into the boy's face every now and then with such a penitent expression that Toby finally assured him of forgiveness and begged him not to feel so badly. End of chapter 12 Read by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan.